welcome everybody to uh, the, the latest edition of the Intersection uh, Inkytel's podcast, where we talk about the intersection of national security and technology. And we're joined today by Ellison N. Williams, CEO of Envale, one of the Inkytel portfolio companies. And we're really excited to have Ellison Ann uh, join us today. So Ellison Ann, thank you very much for joining us at the Intersection. My pleasure, Steve. Happy to be here. Great. So uh, Ellison Ann, maybe, uh, you know, the focus of today is going to be on how you and your team sort of uh, uh, left uh, one of the intelligence agencies and started a company that's uh, delivering great value to uh, uh, both uh, a lot of the government agencies as well as a lot of commercial customers. But uh, uh, to put that in context, maybe we could just start by having you give the audience a little bit of your background. For sure. Uh, so, of course, CEO and founder of Inveil, but before that, uh, spent quite a bit of time inside of one of those intelligence uh, organizations, specifically the National Security Agency. So, pure mathematician by training. Uh, and then before that, uh, you know, did a lot of kind of different things in my career. Great. So, um you know, we at Inkytel have invested in hundreds of companies that you know, want to sell to the U.S. government agencies. But I think we can count on one hand the number of uh, companies where the uh, uh, entire, almost the entire founding team came out of one of those agencies. So it really is an unusual uh, uh, feat that you guys have, have pulled off. And, and so uh, I guess maybe the, the first question I would ask you was, did you know you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Did you know you always wanted to start a company? Because... You know, most entrepreneurs I, I, I know they've they've had that in their DNA. You know, sort of in their, uh, uh, a lot of their adult life, and so I'm, I'm curious if that's the case with you. Yeah. So, like I said, um, highly technical background by training. So, PhD in pure math, masters of math, masters in computer science, and machine learning before it was ever the cool thing to do. So, if you look at some of my uh, background on paper, you would scratch your head and say, "Well, why in the world did this person become CEO and founder of a startup?" But if you go back even further, uh, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So that was modeled on both sides of my family. And I was actually the first technical person in my family. So when I was a little girl and I dreamed of what do I want to be when I grow up, it was exactly this. So starting and running my own businesses. So as I went through school, I was technically inclined, like I said, the first technical person in my family. I thought math was fun. So I kept pursuing it to see where it would lead. And ultimately, of course, it led to uh, lots of degrees and to the National Security Agency. And of course, we can go on from there. Okay. So um, uh, when you get out of uh, uh, school with all the different degrees that you, that you have, uh, I understand the appeal of National Security Agency, right? You know, it's where all the great mathematicians uh, 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 end up. But but that's not really a path to, to starting a company or a natural path to starting a company is to go there. Did, did you think to yourself, hey, I, I want to go uh, there for a certain number of years and then uh, uh, leave and start a company? Or was, was it less calculated than that? Was it a little bit more, I just want to go continue to pursue the math and this is the best place to pursue the math? Well, I was incredibly young when I went through school. So I was young and I thought the whole world is in front of me and I want to see and experience as much of it as I possibly can. So the NSA, as you pointed out or alluded to, is the largest employer of mathematicians in the world. And so when I finished the PhD in math, NSA uh, gave me an offer and they said, we can't tell you what we do, but we do cool stuff. And I thought, I want to do cool stuff. <laughs> and that was the motivation behind it. So I went to NSA thinking I would see and experience things there that I could never see and experience anywhere else. I would stay for a short period of time 
probably three-ish years. And then I would go on to do the things that I always dreamed of doing, which is exactly what I'm doing today. Uh, when I got there, I found that there were just so much to see, so much opportunity that was given to me that ended up staying longer than I had ever imagined. Well, I think you could say the same thing about me here in Ankytel. I didn't think I would stay here for 15 years and here I am in year 16. So uh, 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 I do think it's important for our audience to understand that life is not a completely linear path and there's lots of uh, 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 different ways to go here. So, uh, so you're at the NSA, you're doing great math, you're doing great interesting things that, you know, you can't talk, talk about, you know, which, which is absolutely one of the great things, you know, to do these things. But when did it start to, uh, uh, you know, what, when did it start to come back to you that, hey, you know, the plan was always to go start a company, maybe now is the right time to start a company, and was there a trigger uh, 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 that caused you to think about it at that time? That plan never left. So I, I was always entrepreneurial because I think if you are entrepreneurial like that, if you're born thinking this is what I want to do when I grow up one day, there's always that drive. You're always looking to start new things, to push the boundaries, et cetera. So I like to say that at NSA, I was given incredible opportunities to be a part of really new things that were going on in the intelligence community. But at the same time, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and that drive and that ambition and that hustle is kind of unique in a bureaucratic organization. So uh, I say oftentimes I was a little bit of a fish on a bicycle and coming out into this uh, startup ecosystem, I'm now a fish in water. It's wonderful. This is what swimming feels like. So I had done a lot of different things over the course of my time at the agency. And uh, in particular, uh, I had stood up and was leading an effort around um, how do we really leverage data in environments in, that we don't own control or trust. And as a part of that effort, um, there is a technology called homomorphic encryption that's often considered to be the holy grail of crypto. It's one of the key pillars of what some folks might know today as the category of privacy enhancing technologies. And it allows you, homomorphic encryption, allows you to perform computations in the encrypted domain as if they're in the unencrypted world. So do things like take searches and encrypt them and run them without ever decrypting them at any point during processing. So as part of that effort of looking at, hey, how could we really leverage data in environments that we don't own control or trust in a way that would be secure and private to us, homomorphic encryption is a natural fit. The problem was at that time, even though it's considered to be that holy grail of encryption and had been studied and chased as such for about 30 years, it was possible but not practical. So it was computationally infeasible to do that. So as part of this larger effort, uh, we stepped back, we took another look at it, and we developed some breakthroughs in the utilization of homomorphic encryption that allowed it to be practical for the first time ever. And so taking a look at those breakthroughs, of course, had significant implications for the intelligence uh, community, but also significant implications for the commercial market and how data gets leveraged in the commercial space. So that entrepreneurial drive being continuous in me said, well, you know what? I think that it's time to really go out and start a company and it would be a wonderful privilege and also great challenge to do so with some of the seeds of that breakthrough technology and create a whole new commercial market. And that's the journey that I've been on with the company and Vail for the last four and a half years. Great. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the formation of Envail. But even before that, I'm, I'm curious, 
did you when you were at NSA did you find other people who shared your passion or vision for entrepreneurism did you you know go out in the DC community you know to some of the meetups and some of the other things like that you know to try and meet co-founders you know uh, how, how did you think about you know uh, uh, you know when you start a company, you always want to start a company with, with a team of like-minded individuals. How did you think about going out and meeting those people? I am a sole founder through and through. <laughs> I have no co-founders. I know myself very well. I am a sole founder. Uh, that's always what I had in mind. And uh, when I do it again, it will be the same way. So I, I'm very much a sole founder. So I didn't think about it in terms of I want to go form a team and go do this. Uh, I would have, of course, you know, welcomed some some team members if that um, was, of course, the case. But it was not. So it it wasn't but, but that even kind of if process. You're, even if you're not looking for co-founders, you need sort of other people to bounce ideas off of, you know, and, and, and talk about things like that. Where did you find those people? You know, did you find them in the agency or did you find them outside the agency? Yeah, uh, some of those people are inside of the agency. So while the agency is a very bureaucratic organization, just like any big company or big commercial entity is going to be, there's some really incredible people, really incredible people that are forward thinking, that are really pushing the boundaries of what, what's in the land of the possible inside of the intelligence community. So those people uh, typically know each other or uh, some of them know each other and those are the right individuals to go talk to. So in the process of saying, hey, I think this could absolutely transform how data is used and leveraged in, in the commercial space, uh, I had conversations with those individuals and of course they, they shared that similar vision. Great. So you have your idea, you, know, you see your market opportunity, you see your ability to uh, impact the world. Uh, what was the next steps? You know, how, did, how do you think about leaving the agency and going and starting a company? Uh, well, there are a lot of next steps, right? Uh, so, so first and foremost, if you've got breakthroughs in technology inside the intelligence community, and you want to take any subset of those breakthroughs out of the intelligence community to go commercialize it, you've got to transfer that technology out of the agency. You just can't walk out of the door and take it clearly. So I had to examine and look at that formal process, which NGA has through their, um, NGA, NSA has through their technology transfer program, uh, by which you can take uh, certain elements of technology out into the commercial world. So that was first and foremost, if you can't take it out, you can't go and use it as a seed to start the company. And then from there, normal startup mechanics of funding and um, your, your first team members, even though I don't have a co-founder, I am a sole founder, I did have um, three, uh, employees on day one uh, that are still into the company. So we call them kind of founding employees. Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, so not a discipline process to uh, people who try and spin technology out of university labs and, and, and natural labs and, and other things mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, the national government agencies are not the natural hunting grounds for venture capitalists to go find entrepreneurs to go back. So how did you think about, all right, you know, now that I, I, I want to start a company, I need to go get some uh, uh, financing, you know, to, to help fund what I want to do. How did you think about meeting and, and identifying those partners? That was an incredibly challenging endeavor, more so than I think I've uh, heard of for a normal founder, because when you're entire or most of your professional career has been inside of an intelligence organization, your career is a black box. It happens somewhere over there, you can't look into it, and you have no reputation on the outside world. 
So it's asking a VC to take a risk on something that's completely unknown. It's, it's difficult for them to even validate anything that you say is, is actually true and reaching into the intelligence community unless they have existing ties there. So I, I think being that black box coming out of the intelligence community is hard, hard in terms of raising money because you have to build that reputation. The way that I did it uh, was th- uh, through an entity called Data Tribe. So as part of coming out of the intelligence community, there were a couple of individuals who had also transferred some technology out of the intelligence community, in particular uh, NSA. So Apache NiFi, if people are familiar with that, with a company that became Onyara that eventually was acquired by Hortonworks. So um, Stephen and Joe Witt. So they had taken the technology out of NSA, uh, they had formed a company around it, they had sold it off. And then they also, uh, along with Bob Ackerman and Mike Janke had founded a new seed investment firm here in the Maryland area called Data Tribe, designed to take teams and technologies that were coming out of the IC and help them commercialize. So through those IC connections, I found Data Tribe, and we were actually the first company in for Data Tribe, and they did our seed investment. And they obviously had some exposure and understanding of the world that you were coming out of, you know, and, and could probably do at least some level of reference checking, you know, on, on you, that sort of thing. But there aren't many people like Data Tribe, right? You know, and, and so uh, um, uh, that's a challenge, I think, for, for people thinking about leaving one of these agencies and, and starting is, is the set of investors that you can go talk to that will have an understanding of context of your origin, you know, in your background and why you're a high achiever that they should want to invest in. That that's a real challenge for, for entrepreneurs coming on the agencies, don't you think? It's a huge challenge, huge yeah, yeah. challenge. Right, and so um, uh, and then you're out of the agency, and for the first time, you're trying to sell a product, right? You know, when you're in an agency, <laughs> you're building a product, but you don't have to necessarily, you know, try and sell uh, a, a, a set of people on 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 why it's good and, and why they should want to buy it. You know. What was that like learning you know, about that aspect of the, of the business? Uh, 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 tell me about that. Well, I'd say some basic foundation elements are the same. So if you're trying to really hustle and do new things inside of an intelligence organization, you got to convince people who don't want to be convinced that have always done it one way and are happy with that status quo to do it a new way, a better way. And that makes people really nervous and uncomfortable. So that skill of being able to kind of turn the battleship through socialization and get people to really buy in and believe in the vision and take a chance and try something new and different was very much exercised for me inside of the intelligence community. Now that said, the sales process, a formal sales process of selling enterprise software to a large organization is is a different set of, a slightly different set of skills, but builds on that same foundation. So one of the things that I also learned, uh, and I was a little bit surprised at this, I thought that my skills that I've developed inside of the intelligence agency of learning how to navigate and kind of turn a bureaucracy through socialization and et cetera would be useless to me out in the commercial world. I thought, well, those were nice skills to hone and develop. I'm gonna leave them behind in the intelligence community, I'm gonna go out in the commercial world where everything's moved super fast and we're just gonna make things happen and my hustle is gonna be appreciated. Not exactly the case uh, in the sense of what I found, and of course this makes complete sense in hindsight, it was an incredible naivete, 
is that these large uh, financial services institutions, healthcare organizations, you know, your Fortune 100 are large bureaucratic organizations. So that same basic skill set of learning how to navigate a bureaucracy, socialize your way around a bureaucracy, build champions, et cetera, translate very nicely to a sales motion <laughs> to a large Fortune 100 organization and company. So uh, now you've obviously had success selling to both uh, government customers and commercial customers. Did you have more comfort at first selling to government customers because they looked and felt a lot more like the world that you grew up with? Or uh, 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 to your, your last point here, were they sort of bureaucratic enough, the big financial services companies, you know, those sorts of things, that it didn't really seem like that big a difference to you? I was not comfortable at all at the beginning selling into the federal market. I think that's a huge misconception that people have, that when you come out of the federal space, that you can just turn back around and sell into the federal community. That's not true at all, because there's a whole lot of politics that go along with that and a lot of uh, really mis misconception and misperception around you trading your um, uh, government badge, your mission badge, your, your officer badge in for a contractor badge or a vendor badge. There's a whole lot that goes on with that. And so it's actually much harder for somebody coming out of the federal space to turn back around and sell into the federal space, particularly at the beginning, than it is to go out and sell into the commercial market. Yeah. And then you sell you know, a, a security product. Uh, having worked at NSA, do you feel like there's a halo as you go into the commercial market of, oh, you're from the NSA, you're, you know, uh, 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 therefore you must really know what's going on there. Do you, do you find that that's a credential that's helpful for you in the commercial market? I think it's helpful to a certain extent. I think um, as we build more and more uh, street cred, as it were, as a company, that becomes less and less valuable to us. So people care about what we do today. What did we deliver yesterday? Not where did we work five years ago? Right, kind of a situation. When we first came out of the company, we had to deal head on with a lot of skepticism around NSA people now coming out and doing something around encryption. And the way that I dealt with that was super transparently, super openly and squarely right in the face. And that was a good strategy and it was beneficial for us. And then, like I said, as we've grown as a company, as we've won a lot of awards, as we've raised money, as we've done all the things that you do in terms of building product, releasing product, et cetera, it's part of normal startup motion, you gain your own reputation and, and uh, validity in the commercial market. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, uh, you left uh, uh, the agency, obviously, uh, uh, several years ago at this point, but uh, CIA just announced CIA Labs uh, uh, recently. Um, uh, uh, which is an effort uh, uh, to enable, I think, uh, uh, some of the IP that they have developed uh, uh, to be licensed out to companies and or some of their people to leave and, and start companies. Um, uh, do you think there's a little bit more momentum within uh, the government world to enable other people to do what, what you've done so far? Debatable. <laughs> Maybe CIA Labs is a good indication that there is some momentum to do that. Uh, I certainly haven't, for example, from an NSA perspective, seen an uptick in tech transfer types of opportunities, engagements, founders coming out of the IC to start companies. I do believe there's a ton of innovative work that goes on inside of the IC. So if we can uh, enable some of that innovative work to come out to be commercialized and leveraged for commercial opportunities, that's, of course, uh, fantastic. And I'm all for that. Yeah, I think if you look at uh, you know, a lot of conversations going on in D.C. right now, obviously one of the high level conversations is how do we compete against China 
in a nation state competition. And one of the areas we're gonna compete against them is technology. And so there's an increased emphasis, uh, uh, there's always been an emphasis, but an increased emphasis, I think within the government in thinking about how do we attract uh, uh, the most talented technical people to come work in our organizations. And I think there's a belief that one of the ways to do it is to make it easier for them to then leave and go off, you know, and not have to uh, spend their entire career, you know, in that government agency, but to come work for it for some period of time and then go back into industry. That's a theme of conversation that I think we hear a lot these days when we talk to our government partners. Um, do you think if these government agencies enabled a more, a less friction approach uh, uh, to tech transfer in to enable folks to, uh, um, uh, get out there and, 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 and start companies based on, on some of the work that they've done at these agencies. Do you think that would make it more attractive for top technical people like yourself uh, uh, to go work for these government agencies? Absolutely. Uh, there's a huge stigma uh, in the intelligence community from going to the from the proverbial blue to green. So blue badge means you're an IC government employee, you're an officer of the organization. Green means you're a contractor or a vendor. And if you're really serious about the mission, the uh, you know whole mo or the line that, that people will tell you is that you stay blue. If you want to make money, you go green. So that is not true at all. It's a complete myth and misconception, but it still pervades a lot of the attitudes and some of the IC organizations. And so I think yes, if you allow um, the walls to be a little bit more porous, so people can come, they can work for a while, they can be blue, then they can leave and come back again. That certainly helps. But I think to really compete. Uh, at the nation state level from a technology perspective the, the way that we need to, the right question to ask is not, how do we get highly qualified technical people inside of the IC organizations to work for us? It's how do we work with highly technical people outside of our walls and outside of our organizations in a way that really impacts mission? Yeah, well, I couldn't say that last point better uh, on myself. And certainly that's one of the missions of Inkytel is, is to help facilitate that. Uh, uh, interaction in a better way possible. I think that's a great point to end on here. Uh, uh, Allison and Ann, uh, really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure to work with you these last few years uh, on Enville. I look forward uh, 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 to our continued journey together there. But thanks for joining us at the intersection today. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.